Welcome to the Short Funk Podcast, I'm Tom Barbelay, and today, BBS Stories, Part 1. A bulletin board system predated the internet. It was something that allowed for the rise of internet service providers before monolithic cable companies took that role. So if you see this in a continuum, this is where bulletin board systems exist. And what fascinated me about PBS is, and I got a modem in maybe 1991, I'm thinking, maybe 1992. My friends had modems, one of my friends ran a bulletin board system, and it was a means of communicating prior to the internet. It had concepts like emails, it had concepts like file download, certainly had concepts like cracked software and pornography. And from my perspective at that age, it was very useful for me for a couple of reasons. The first reason is that I developed a game called SchmuckQuest, and SchmuckQuest was actually, well, there were three of them, SchmuckQuest 1, 2, and 3, SchmuckQuest I started developing probably in 1990 or maybe 1991 with my friend Darren Bolton. And it was a text adventure game that we then added graphics to. But the thing that came through SchmuckQuest was the original manuals. Well, actually, they weren't called the original manuals, that's for no blade. was the SchmuckQuest manuals. And the SchmuckQuest manuals were a series of humorous stories and anecdotes and just general comedic stuff that had nothing to do with the game. It was, in fact, a joke about manuals. It was a joke about computer game manuals, or just manuals in general. And it was designed to create another thing in addition to SchmuckQuest. It didn't aid in your playing. It was just a comedic thing that existed as well. And SchmuckQuest was relatively successful in the kind of bulletin board scene. I mean, once I first uploaded it, there was a circumstance actually in my friend's BBS where I was over one day... And there was a fellow who got online and he's like, you're the creator of SchmuckQuest? You're the creator of SchmuckQuest? Uh, of course, I'm ad-libbing because he was just typing this, but he, he got into capitalizations and exclamation marks. Anyway, he offered to perform. He was part of a folk band and he offered to give me a free performance of his folk band at any party of my choice. So that was the impact that SchmuckQuest had on the local gaming community. You've got to appreciate... Canberra's like Washington, D.C., so there's a whole lot of, like, public sector workers in Canberra, and there's a whole lot of, like, computer nerds that are paid a regular salary but have, like, copious quantities of free time. And SchmuckQuest obviously filled that niche in Australia. I don't know if it ever went international. I never really got into the whole breadth of SchmuckQuest. I have one lone floppy disk which kind of represents SchmuckQuest, Unlike the original manuals of Noble Ape, unlike my writings from a similar period, the Field of Chaos writings, I didn't maintain the SchmuckQuest text files. I didn't maintain any of the humour or any of those elements, and certainly the source code is long gone. It had an interesting intro, which was a combination of the Superman theme and Public Enemy's contract on the world love Cham, And that is something that I still remember to this day. In fact, I think it's like Sirens blending into Contract in the World Love Jam, blending into the Superman theme, which almost kind of begs itself to be remixed in a kind of DJ record form. But yeah, the intro was particularly like noticeable, and the graphics were really bad. They were hand-drawn graphics, but it was like, you know, it was a legitimate adventure game. The other thing about the Schmuck Quest universe was that it was like a parallel nerd universe. So you had the Teenage Mutant Ninja Dorks, Ralph, Donald, Mike, 
Who's the other one? Leonard. There were the tomatoes with attitude, which were like the NWA equivalent, iced food, all this kind of stuff. So you have these kind of comedic characters that would turn up. And, oh, um, I think the sequel was called Search for Clock because you were trying to find, like, the last great watchmaker that had been uh, captured and put on some toxic island and all this kind of stuff. So, yeah, as adventure games go, relatively pedestrian, but yeah, like a whole lot of additional humour elements. A footnote for Schmuck Quest. While I was developing it, there was a couple of my friends, well, actually, one of them ran the local BBS, but they were kind of like, eh, Schmuck Quest, eh, you know, as teenagers typically are. They went on to create a comic book series that was really heavily based on the Schmuck Quest manuals. In fact, a lot of the humour, a lot of the jokes were verbatim from the Schmuck Quest manuals. This happened maybe three, four years after I developed Schmuck Quest when they left high school to go off and do this thing. And it always kind of stuck in my craw associated with the use of the Schmuck Quest content with the view that, I don't know, I mean, there were a few, like, there were a few jokes that were clearly like Monty Python esque. There was a lot of elements to Schmuck Quest and the manuals, but it always struck me as strange that these guys who so heavily, I don't know, disliked, for want of a better term, or at least feigned distaste for Schmuck Quest, had utilised the manual so heavily in their comic book enterprises, creating original content, as I'm doing now, on a daily basis. It's quite difficult, so I do appreciate the need for plagiarism in certain circumstances, but, like I say, eh. I do occasionally, occasionally have an inkling that I want to put together a Kickstarter in order to resurrect Schmuck Quest. I don't know if it's going to happen. Maybe if I do a release of the theme music with the Sirens contract and the World Love Jam Superman theme blended together, maybe that could be like the intro into the future Schmuck Quest. Schmuck Quest Deluxe, potentially. Anyway, Tom Barbelay in San Jose, signing out.